0: You're listening to the Finishing Strong podcast, a lifestyle podcast for men who want to thrive in the third quarter season of their life, but need a sustainable plan. I'm your host, Steve Poniotu, and my life has been dramatically changed and influenced by some of the most knowledgeable and thoughtful people in their respective fields. I want to share these ideas and people with you, and perhaps they can do the same for you. Growing old doesn't have to suck join me as i'm finishing strong welcome everybody this is uh season one episode five and my guest is mark Strau. he hails from uh, i think i believe it's northwest arkansas is that right mark
1: that is correct we're in a small town of Berryville, arkansas not far from fayetteville u of a go go hogs there you go <laughs> big suey
0: <laughs> yeah there you go so the reason I brought you on, Mark, was because of your, uh, I've heard you on several podcasts, and uh, you are a fitness trainer and have been for quite some time. And I think you're in about the same season of life as, as I am. And um, I'd love to hear your perspective on, from somebody that has been training for so long. And uh, not to make you out that old, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, to, to get your perspective on kind of uh, the history, a, a little bit of history of, of yes. the, the movement of, of fitness, and then how it relates to us men in this season of our lives, and and then we'll talk about your story and um, with your diet and exercise and that kind of thing. So why don't you give us a little bio and then we'll get into some of the fitness stuff.
1: Sounds, sounds great. Glad to be here. Uh, yes, I'm in Northwest Arkansas, Berryville, Arkansas is where, where I hail from, not far from Fayetteville, Not actually far from Missouri. Um, yeah, I will be 50 uh, March 10th here. I don't know when this will air, but here in just a couple of weeks from this airing. Um, and fitness is so important and i think we we are more conscious of it uh in our youth and i, I know i probably was also and then when i had some issues uh, about a decade ago where i lost my health um very severely it makes you really think about the importance of it and you know i think the quote and i can't quote it that uh, uh, that i saw that uh, dick van dyke said said i used to train in my 30s out of pure vanity and uh, in my fifties, I just trained to keep in shape. And then later on in my sixties uh, and seventies, I stayed trained to be functional in my eighties. I, I trained to stay out of the, uh, nursing home and assisted living care. And in my nineties, I just do it from, from pure, uh, stubbornness. And, uh, you know, I think, I think it does change Our attitudes change on that. And it's, it's, it's critical that we keep, uh, functional as long as we can throughout our life and surprisingly it doesn't look this way when you see a lot of people's health but you can stay very fit very functional into advanced age
0: wow that's great so tell us a little bit about um your uh history of working out and 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 then how you've come to this point
1: okay um i started in martial arts when I was about nine, actually 10 years old. I was almost 10. So I've been in it for almost 40 years now. And um, I was your typical scrawny, scrawny kid. And when we, I started in a traditional Kung Fu system and we had kids my age all the way to adults and the instructor had us all spar and fight and it didn't matter what your age or what size they were. So I was very weak compared to a lot of these older ones than me, so that's where I thought I must start trying to get stronger and so I bought a you know actually my parents they they went to a garage sale and got me some dumbbells and barbells and a little you know equipment. I had no clue what I was doing and um, fortunately, I love to read and uh you know i I got a hold of some books and some were terrible, some were great, but I started reading Perry Reader, and uh, that kind of got me kicked off in the right direction. I kind of I, I think that I credit that for kind of getting me in the the right area. Um, Edward Sando, some of the people there that I would read about, some of the old strong men. I would read how they trained, and it wasn't nothing like. What, even at that time, like in, in the 70s and 80s, that's when, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger marathon workout was still going on. And although he was doing it for bodybuilding reasons, everybody that wanted to be in shape, thought they needed to be, live in a gym. And uh, cardio was a big thing at that point. And I started reading some of the stuff that, that Vince Gironda, Vic Tanny, and now a lot of these are bodybuilders. I don't have bodybuilding genetics. I, I clearly don't, and I never wanted to be. But at the time, that was what was available. And then later on, that led me to uh, a guy named Arthur Jones and Dr. Ellington Darden, Mike Mincer, and, and uh, Ken Hutchins. And uh, Dick Buckus was even, even a part of that group there that was uh, doing a lot of things that were radically, radically different than the mainstream was doing. And, you know, it was saying, no, you don't need to work out every day of the week. You don't need to, you know, live in the gym you need intensity. You need proper form. You need to make sure the order of the exercise is correct. The cadence is correct. And I mean, they all had different disagreements to some degree, but uh, that's where I first uh, became acquainted with high intensity training. And when I went to college, uh, I had a a coach that was into that mode of training, the the Nautilus equipment and uh, went into the powerlifting side. And so that's where I was exposed to, to that. And uh, that's, that's where my training, uh, why, the, the evolution of where it came from. And it's changed along the way, uh, but that's, that's the, the background of it.
0: And so um, you uh, went to college, and were you in athletics in college?
1: No, I was not. I, I was not. I was actually, I had a degree in psychology Uh, I lifted in college and tried to hang around the gyms and try to just talk to the people that knew what they were doing. There was one coach actually uh, at a at a college there, and he had been involved in working with the 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 Redskins at the time, Washington Redskins. And Coach Bell was his name, and was an older man. He had retired, and he had actually uh, came out of retirement to teach uh, weight training, physical training, and was an incredible, incredibly knowledgeable and compassionate guy and just wanted to make sure we did it right. He did. He always said, don't get hurt. We don't want to get hurt. And he make sure that our form was, you know, 110% correct. He made sure that how we were doing everything was proper and uh, he had a great influence on me. Uh, there was a lot of different of the lifting coaches that were very, very knowledgeable and there, you know, there were some that were more into the high volume. Uh, approach but the ones that uh, were into more of the high intensity side of it that's the ones that I gravitated toward.
0: And so how did you get into training then?
1: What was that like? Yeah uh, that was I graduated in in 92 and I started right away into I went to the uh, into management at the world's largest meat producer in the world uh, Tyson Foods and so I didn't have a whole lot of time I wasn't married at that time but uh, worked a lot. And I had other ventures going at that point too. And around that time, I had a lot of people that, and I was still training and had a lot of people saying, oh, you know, I would like to learn how to do what you do." So I would help them out and different things like that. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to help somebody, I need, I need to go ahead and get some training. And so that's when I enrolled in a, uh, a, a trainer course and, uh, went, went through various things like that. Um, and that's where that started. I, and I didn't really have a lot of time to do a, a ton of training. It was mainly people that were doing martial arts that were my students. And I would tr- do personal training with them. And then later on, uh, after I had, I, I, I quit in, in management there and I was doing my own thing there and I, I had, to, had my own shop and then put a studio in. And that's where the training actually started. Uh, More as 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 you look at it in a traditional sense.
0: What year was that that you? That would have been
1: in 1997. Okay. Yes. So at that
0: point, was it um, the volume training that you were doing that you were uh, teaching, or was this um, where you starting to implement some of the intensity training?
1: No, that was all everything that I had done. I mean, I had done some high volume training myself, but I had always been in the high intensity camp. Uh, Arthur Jones at, at, at the time was still promoting, you know, two to three workout sessions of around 30 to 45 minutes. One of my martial arts instructors was uh, Burton Richardson, and he became a, 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 a trainer under, not a trainer, excuse me, he became a, a client of Mike Mincer in Los Angeles. And that really changed everything. Mike had just started training. Of course, you know, he had been Mr. Olympian three times in in the 70s. uh, Actually, the only one to ever win that by a perfect score. And he had some personal issues. He went through some really bad times in the early 80s. Got his life turned around. uh, Still has some issues. But uh, he became a trainer in the late 80s and the 90s and was incredible. His methodology changed everything for me. That probably had the biggest impact. Uh, his method was called heavy duty, and I incorporated most all of the methodology that I used at that point was from from Mike. Dr. Ellington Darden was another one that had kind of broke away from some of the the early 1970s and and 80s early 80s training to kind of incorporate different things. Ken Hutchins, which uh, which did have a falling out with Arthur Jones, but he started the super slow methodology, and his was a working basically with the elderly and that system I never did train in that system it has some really good aspects but to me it had some some negative aspects that I didn't personally like so mainly more in the Mike Mincer camp now to bring that up to today that is more what uh, Dr. McGuff Doug McGuff in the body of science that's kind of kind of more in his background too is more in that high having a higher load higher intensity and getting it done much briefer so the workouts tended to be very very brief usually one workout per week and in under 20 minutes but the intensity was incredibly high that's the only way that's going to work uh now dr mcguff uh and with most of my clients too recommends for most clients, a whole body workout, usually consisting of three at a minimum to around five to six sets at the most. Mike Minter would split that up in, into different, uh, like a lower body and upper body workout.
0: Interesting. So when we're <coughs> considering this season of life, um, I, I heard from another podcast that you live in, in an area that has elderly people. So Yes. Uh, you do work with a lot of elderly people or people, you know, in I our. I do. And so if we had to reverse engineer, because um, you see the people, you know, in the 70s, 80s, and that yes. kind of thing. Yes. And where they're at. And if, if you had to reverse engineer and say, this would be the kind of workout you would recommend for people in our 50s to stay mobile and strong for longevity and, and, and wellness. Where, where would you go and what would you do in, in that kind of thing?
1: Keeping it as simple, safe, and efficient and effective as possible. And those are just words, but there's ways of doing that. Uh, I think we make things way, way too complicated and, and people get kind of confused. I mean, it's very confusing. And if you, if you get a muscle mag, magazine oh my goodness you'll see a workout there and then you know the next one that comes out no 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 don't do it that way do it this way and they're having you do you know 20 different exercises per workout and it's, it's very 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 confusing it's very intimidating to people generally keeping as few sets as possible i mean exercises as possible and we don't need as many as what people think um i mean i have some clients that are only doing three sets per workout, a total body. They may do some type of push out exercise, which, you know, generally consists of a bench press or an incline type bench press. That's a compound move. It's going to work three major muscle groups right there. We go on to some type of pull down exercise, or that's what I call pulling in in the vertical or we'll have a, a pulling in the horizontal. So I'll alternate those. So we'll have some type of pulling exercise and that will include, uh, the positive motion, a static hold of some sort, and then the negative phase. So all those need to be included in there. Uh, and then we'll have some type of pushing exercise or some type of exercise for the legs. Uh, generally, if, if it's if a leg press, if it's machine-based, is it, a good option. Uh, that works the most of the lower body uh, muscles. Uh, at my studio, I have a, a, a hex bar. I, I love a hex bar that that to me is one of the absolute best things uh for doing a romanian type deadlift and just a standard deadlift uh it works so many muscle groups at one time and it's a very easy thing if, when properly instructed to be trained in how to do it safely uh do it correctly and you can you can really get your heart's attention on that too a lot of people do not think that you can do resistance training and work the cardiovascular system. And that's totally wrong. You can get an incredibly well conditioned cardiovascular system just through resistance training.
0: So what would that look like? Um, with, with so few sets, um, what kind of uh, resistance are you, are you looking at uh, doing like 80% of your, of your max um, or, what does that look like
1: well it really it really depends um the the resistance has got to be enough i mean you can go to the point where you're doing so many repetitions you you lose a lot of uh, of the effectiveness not necessarily the effectiveness but the time efficiency you're going to lose that basically we want a time under load The, the the amount of time that your muscles are under load until you hit a failure uh, and failure, I mean, is momentary muscular failure. Your muscles cannot push anymore. They cannot contract. They cannot be effectively used at that point. It's just temporary, just for a mo- moment or so. But we want to go to that point. That way, we we know we flipped all the switches when we get to that point. Um, so generally, I like my clients to be finished in between 60 seconds to 90 seconds. I want them to hit momentary muscular failure in that length of time so the weight has to be appropriate enough to hit that now that could be as few now this is mainly for more my more advanced clients that could be as few as three repetitions generally most of my clients are going between six to 12 repetitions to hit that fail point when they you know are going you know much much higher that's when we have to adjust the resistance more change the cadence around or the order that you do this in so that would be like the three exercises. That would be the most basic. That would be just the you know what we call the big three. There's the big five, you know, which is is more standard. But uh, you definitely want to have that time under load so that you are somewhere in a minute at the shortest, probably end of the spectrum, to around 90 seconds at the higher end. Now some will go out further. I mean, some will go out to you know a little bit longer than that. But that's generally where I like to range at.
0: Interesting. So we're not looking at hours in the gym. (laughs) No,
1: no. Uh, It's funny uh, when I have somebody, and I have a lot, I have a lot of ones that come, you know, from a different background, especially the ones that come from CrossFit, and they're thinking, this isn't going to do anything. And sweat is not indicative of intensity. I, I wish people could realize that. You, you only the only concrete evidence we know of, of if we flipped all the switches is when the muscle cannot work any longer. I mean, there is beyond failure training that's through rest pause or scraps, you know, negative training only. But for just standard working out, when you're and I, you know, my coach, Coach Bell, always tells this Stroud, when I say failure, that means if I had a gun to your head. And I tell you to do another repetition and you do, I was serious, and you can't. That's failure. It's not just when your muscles are sore or hurting or you got a lactic acid buildup. It means they cannot contract any longer. So I mean that is that's a good definition of what failure is. It is when the muscles cannot contract another rep. And you know, like if you're doing something and you're pushing out, just saying a bench press, you may get it a quarter of the way out on that last one and you're just sitting there shaking, but it's not moving up, okay. So a lot of times we'll just sit there and just burn the muscles out at that point and then lower. So yeah, that, that's, that's the point we want to hit is is the fail point. So when you work,
0: when you're working with uh, elderly people, is this the type of workout you do with them?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody thinks, isn't that dangerous? Isn't that, isn't that, you know, hard? No, not really. Uh, I'm right there with them every step of the way. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're having me there as they do everything. And when you come to failure, it doesn't mean your arm's just you know like that. I'm right there with them too. But the machine's going to lower them down safely. Now on, say, a hex bar. Now, obviously, we can't go to full muscular failure on a hex bar or, or uh, any kind of free weights like that unless you've got a couple of spotters on both sides with them. So on something like that, we have to kind of go to what we call near failure so that they can... Safely set the bar down. and But on most of the machine equipment, even on free weights, if you're doing it with, with, with a partner, if you have a trainer, you can go, go to that point of failure uh, safely.
0: That's interesting. I, I, uh, I really enjoy working out, and I've set up a, a gym in my garage, and I, yes. I get out there probably uh, six times a week for about an hour, and I enjoy it. Um, yes. mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's therapy and it's, it's something that I can control and it seems anyway. Um, so having said that, if I came to you and I said, Mark, I do you know, I'm in my, you know, mid, mid to late fifties and I'm relatively healthy I'm, I'm pretty healthy. I want to get jacked. Yeah. <laughs> would you, yes. would, would you take me through that same um, routine as you would the elderly lady. I know it looked different, but the same
1: philosophy of training. In some ways, yes. I mean, there are some variations, and I we have that a lot. We, I mean, there there's different things that that people want, so you do have to kind of target things differently. Uh, we may even go to a split body routine that may be better for somebody Uh, because we can definitely, definitely do a little more things when we go to that. But if it was just somebody that's wanting a single session a week, um, yes. And we would probably do anywhere from three to five, maybe even six different variations. Now, those won't always be the same. A lot of times there'll be an A, B, and C variation of those workouts each week. I mean, you know, throughout the week. So, you know, we're going to hit different things. And Almost all of it will be compounded exercises. Now, there are needs for certain things. Some people are, you know, just by doing a bench press, they're going to have incredible hit on their their triceps. Others, they may need a little, you know, like a rope press, uh, tricep press. They may need something like that. Uh, I have a a machine that we do sissy squats on. I have some that are, you know, they, they kind of lack in the, in the quads. So that actually kind of does a pre-fatigue before we go to Romanian deadlifts or standard deadlifts. So there are things that we can add into that. And the thing about that, even though we're adding two or three extra exercises there, this is, this is what's different too. Uh, there's not a lot of break time in between. So we're not talking about like at the gym, you'll see somebody and they may be there three hours, but they're not working out three hours. Uh, they're just not. They're sitting there on Instagram, posting pictures or on Twitter, whatever, you know, they're checking out people. They got to do their pre-energy drink or mid-energy drink, They gotta do their post-energy, you know, and they're, 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 they'll take like five or 10 minutes, you know, between uh, 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 the next exercise. We take at the most about 30 seconds. So the order, that's one of the things that Dr. Elton Darden uh, spoke about. And that's one of the, the, his definitions of high intensity is the order. I don't understand the order. Well, if I gave you chest flies in front of a bench press, okay, that's gonna change the amount of resistance and the amount of repetitions you're gonna be able to do because we have just destroyed your pec muscles, okay? So you're gonna go into that pre-fatigue. Now, to make that work, we can't do chest flies and then let you recover for three or four minutes. You do chest flies, and then we have you doing a bench press with, you know, it, and hopefully in under, you know, 15 seconds. So that's, that's a lot of the secret there. Uh, if I'm doing myself, I'm out here and I'm wanting to, you know, do, do quite a few pretty heavy uh, standard deadlifts. If I put Romanians in front of that and put sissy squats in front of that, Well, that's going to definitely have me coming into that in in an extreme deficit. Now, does that mean that I'm getting less of a workout? No. The muscles are already pre-fatigued, so on my next set, they don't have as much to give. So you get there quicker that way. But we may add, somebody on the question you asked, we may add in a few isolation exercises. We don't do a whole lot of isolation. We try to keep compound. Uh, that generally works for everybody, but occasionally there's some lagging parts, if you want to call it that. And so sometimes we do have to add some isolation sets too.
0: So what I hear you saying is it's all about fatiguing the muscle to failure.
1: That's that's the biggest part of it, and most people do not go anywhere near intensity. They think they do, and. You know, Arthur Jones was asked one time, uh, uh, a trainer that has been with him for the 70s, Russ Wakefield. Got a great gym, by the way, up in Ohio. Uh, he said this is one of his favorite quotes. Somebody asked him, said, well, do you need a trainer, Arthur? I mean, does this person need a trainer? He said, no, not in high intensity. You don't need a trainer. He said, if you can lay your hand down and take a claw hammer and strike each knuckle repeatedly, you don't need a trainer. And there's so much pain I mean, yes, you do get accustomed to it to some degree. It almost becomes a sickness, and you kind of like it. But most people that work out, they will never push themselves there. And I've had a lot of people that have worked out, they thought hard, and they've admitted this. They go, I just thought I was using intensity. And, you know, it's not uncommon for some of these workout people when they are done And I don't do this on purpose. I don't think this is necessary. I mean – there, uh, David Landau said the, the purpose is to stimulate not annihilate and I think some high intensity trainers think we have to annihilate and we really don't have to annihilate we have to stimulate properly uh, but they'll get finished with a session and it may be ultra brief it may be a 12 minute session and they're laying on the floor and can't hardly move and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger once said which well, he hated high intensity he did not like how it made him feel he he was a marathon trainer uh, when he he went to Deland, Florida, or Oscala, California, to train with uh, Arthur Jones on the Nautilus machines, his quote, and I've got this on my Instagram page. Um, I've had sessions where I was unable to walk after a workout. After I trained with Arthur Jones, I was not even able to lay down after a workout. <laughs> so the it, 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 it's different, and most people are very skeptical. They think if they, especially if they're in the high volume, this can't work. And I would say you have to feel it to appreciate it. You have to feel that. And one thing that you'll notice is when you're done, you're done. And I'll, I'll always jokingly ask this person, especially somebody that comes from CrossFit or somebody that comes from just where they're spending hours in the gym, when they're finished, I go, okay, that was 11 minutes. We got time. You want to go again? No, no. I've <laughs> never had one taker ever. And I'm serious. If they want to go again, we'll go. You know, they paid for the time. and uh, I've never had a taker yet and uh, I've had some that went there and just kind of belligerently said yeah I'm doing this but because I can't I just can't uh, have the time to go to the gym but I don't think it's going to do anything for me and I think I'm going to feel it I have never yet had one walk out of my studio saying oh my goodness you know that was nothing you know it's it's like wow I can't hardly walk and it's not that we want to do that on purpose that's just the effect of it and You know thats just—that's one of the differences you will definitely feel.
0: That's when you know you're doing it
1: correctly. Is that right? Well, hopefully. I mean, the intensity part. I mean, form—you gotta have form. I mean, man, he's in such crappy form. I mean, yeah, you can get intensity and not have the form, and I've seen that too, and that doesn't work. So, form has got to be there, or you're gonna create massive injuries down the road, maybe long-term injuries too. So, yeah, as long as you've got the form, you got the intensity, you got the cadence down, nothing explosive and you know that's the thing you always have people I uh I had a had a kid come in he was 15 he was about like me when I was about that age he's probably all of 115 pounds maybe and his mom was wanting him to train with me but he already knew everything and uh, (laughs) he said yeah I curl uh I can't remember it was like 160 pounds he curls I'm like you curl 160 pounds I said wow (laughs) And I said, how do you do it? I said, just show me. And he was just, just like, you know, using all kinds of body English. And he wasn't doing it. He was just showing me the motions. And I said, well, I said, you know, I'm trying to be a, a you know, trying not to be a smart aleck or anything like that. But I said, that is not a safe way to do it. Well, that's how my dad was So I said, well, I don't want to tell me your dad told you are wrong. But I said, come in here. And so I said, I want you to put your back to the wall. Okay, so put the, your back to the wall. Put your elbows there. And I handed him two. 20 pound dumbbells. I had him start at the down position. I said, I want you to count 10 seconds up, 10 seconds down. And he said, well, that ain't going to be nothing. He got up there and he was about to six and he's like, his arms just shaking. Oh <laughs> my goodness. I said, okay. And he, he also told me, he said, well, slow is easy. I said, no, slow is not easy. And uh, so when you don't have momentum and that's the thing, when we, we know from medical science, that approximately 85% of every in, in, injury in sports, in exercise, is caused from momentum. If you take as much momentum out of the equation, it makes the whole exercise program safer. And that's, that's one of the things we definitely, definitely do. We take as much momentum, nothing explosive. Anybody say anything explosive? Oh my goodness. I, I I will not be happy with them because I preach that over and over before they ever even touch any kind of machine or weights, we do nothing explosive. Anybody tells you to do something explosive, don't do it. And uh, so that's definitely one of the things that we we don't allow.
0: That's really interesting because that seems to be a lot of what um sports teaches is you got to be explosive and, and
1: absolutely. Explosive. Yes. It so, do you,
0: do you do you see any of this type of philosophy um, in uh, professional sports? Versus... Uh, interesting.
1: You should, you should ask yeah. that. I, I, mm-hmm. I, that. That's one thing that I was wanting to hit on. Yes, uh, we did. We don't see it much anymore, unfortunately. Very unfortunate. Uh, kind of hard to believe, but back in the '60s and '70s, uh, in martial arts, Bruce Lee broke this barrier. He was the first to really start in, introducing. Weight training in there and and changed changed the course of history in a lot of the martial arts MMA today, but in boxing, in football, in almost everything. Oh, if you do any kind of weight training, that will make you slow and clumsy, and it will reduce your IQ by thirty or forty points. I do see (laughs) where they may think that when you talk to some of the people in the gym. Yeah, okay, yeah, I see where they may figure that, think that. But that was not a common thing. Okay. Arthur Jones got with some team in Florida, some professional football team in Florida, and they had a winless season. I don't know. Was that maybe the Don Shula and the Miami Dolphins in the 72-73 season or the 71-72? Uh, that was actually one of the first teams to start using weight training, and it was the high-intensity training. And uh, Don Shula fully endorsed that. Dick Buckus was in there with, with all of that, too. Right. And there was a high school, and I, I think it was Delane Florida, but I probably, probably got that wrong. Um, land Florida. I probably butchered that. There was a high school team there that went the longest time I, it may still stand. It was like six to seven years, maybe eight years undefeated. And Arthur Jones also trained them. And as soon as that coach retired, they bring another coach and he goes back to doing all the polymetrics and all the other stuff that you know that they're doing in that time frame. Unfortunately, it's, you don't see it a lot today. Uh, very, very rarely you see it. Uh, and it's a shame that you don't. I think it would keep are athletes uh, safer, healthier? Uh, that was another thing that uh, Jones and some of the people at the time were very upset about, how they were injuring players, I mean, constantly. And um, he said the best thing you could do to the, to the the profession of any sport would load up all the trainers and put them on a airplane and fly them in the side of a mountain. I mean, that was kind of crude, but that was his quote. And uh, he said they train them so badly. That's why you can't see a big difference because they're all doing the exact same thing. And they're trying to incorporate all this explosiveness. And he was very, very opposed to that. And, uh, you know, there's a video then floating around now that Dick Buckus was from 1974 or five was talking, showing the difference and how it affects your joints and, and uh, it was bad for your body and how it was so ineffective. Uh, it's a very old clip, but you can find it. Uh, you can find it different places on on YouTube. Uh, but I think it would make our our children healthier. I think they would have less ACL injuries. I think there would be uh, all types of less joint problems, shoulder issues. I mean, today I'm shocked when I have people fill out the quest health uh, the health questionnaire if they're in their 30s, even. I am shocked that they don't have several injuries uh, that they've either had surgery or they need to have surgery on. That's not uncommon at all. And then you ask them, it's almost all the same thing. Yeah, I was uh, training this way at school, and this is what they had us doing. They had us jumping on these boxes, and they had a strap, you know, had weights, uh, weighted vest on, and we were doing this, and, you know, almost no supervision, according to about everybody that tells me that. And uh, even had to show me some video, and I'm like, this is what you're doing at school? Really? and uh, no wonder you're injured and it's just absolutely amazing uh what some of this stuff is doing and what passes for good form is just horrible i mean absolutely horrible anything you see on on social media if you think is good form is probably not i mean it is probably not and of all the exercises we have there's thousands thousands probably of those only 50 are probably needed and probably those 50, probably about 25 of those are actually congruent with, with the way the human body is supposed to move. So we have all this stuff. And everybody has a program. They want to create something unique. You know, here, we're going to use this band. And we're going to combine this with, you know, whatever. And they, they always have to have something that they call unique and something that's different. And just because it's unique and different doesn't mean it's safe and doesn't mean it's productive or doesn't mean it's needed. So we get a lot of that now, a lot, a lot of fluff, I think, in the industry.
0: You know, I, I have a, um, theory about, especially, um, I'm a big baseball fan and, and, uh, when my stepson was in the minor leagues for a couple of years and my son, my other son played D1 baseball and all, so I've been in the baseball world for years now and, um, I've seen so much of the Tommy John surgery. Yes. And my, my, my theory is it has to do with two things, and which you can relate to. One of them, there's got to be a nutritional component to this. Yes. Yes. That's part and, of it. And I think the reason why, and, and this is from experience with my, my stepson, is they're traveling on buses overnight, not sleeping well, they, they pull into a gas station, they fill up on yep. gas station food and they get to their hotel. There's probably pizza or something really terrible or the free, free food at the, yep. you know, at the Motel 6. That's right. And, and it's just all inflammatory food and, yes. and that kind of thing. And then they're doing all this explosive exercise kind of stuff and um putting tremendous strain on their uh i think it's the ucl in in
1: the yes it is UCL uh, Mm yeah
0: in the elbow and Mm -hmm. so i think it's just a it's a it's a it's a recipe for disaster and i would love to to explore that and figure out how i could um write a paper on it or something like that but um Yeah. I just think, I mean, you, you, see it in that and you, but you also see it on all the knee injuries and Mm -hmm. that
1: constantly, Uh, you know, and there's no off season for a lot of these people. They're, 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 they're constantly training. And, you know, that's one thing that I think there needs to be a, a set, a set aside time where there's no official training. Let, let the body recover because you're doing damage. I mean, you are doing damage and you know, you don't, for a sport, we, we do sacrifice our bodies for it. But for exercise, we don't want to do that. But when you're doing both, when you're sacrificing your body for the sport and then you're sacrificing your body for the exercise, that puts a, too much stress on a body. And again, like you said, not having the proper nutrition, that doesn't help. Having lack of sleep and so many other things, it doesn't help the case at all for that. It, it makes it, it just impacts it even more. It compounds the problem.
0: Absolutely.
1: Let's start
0: uh, <clears throat> with the, sh- the shifting gears. So we're okay. shifting gears into nutrition, and, and Mark's got a uh, really unique story, I think. I'd love to, for him to share that and, and share his experience with him personally, and then what he sees in practice, if you will, um, with his clients and nutrition. Go ahead, Mark.
1: All right, if they didn't think I was crazy with the training, they will certainly think it after hearing how I eat, right? (laughs) That's what we should have said right there. Um, Yes, um, the the eating has really been a major part of my life the last few years uh, over what what has happened. Um, I had started developing rheumatoid arthritis a few years back, and I was in denial, uh, absolute total denial. And, yeah, it runs in my family. on my mom's side. Runs in her family heavily. But it's all the females. None of the males have it. So, you know, I'm protected. I can't get it. Whatever is what I kept thinking myself. And um, I had had a lot of hand injuries uh, from martial arts. And in the traditional uh, form, uh, before I got into the JKD aspect of it and the grappling side, uh, we did a lot of board breaking, a lot of concrete breaking, and bricks and coconuts and anything. to. Whoa, there. We did a lot of that. So I had a lot of hand injuries. From boxing, I had a lot of boxing fractures. So I knew eventually I would probably pay a price for that. And uh, I was just thinking, well, you know, it just, it just from the arthritis. And so I'll take some glucosamine and supplement with different things and it'd get better. Uh, it didn't get better. It got worse and worse and worse. And um, this has been over about 15 years this has been developing. So I was about 35, 36 right in there and i was able to manage it fairly well uh i took different supplements natural supplements i didn't do any of the medications the doctors wanted I didn't do any steroid shots i didn't do any of that um uh, they were want me put me on sulidac for an anti inflammatory and other things that i i didn't do and i i i kept it managed pretty well and it but it kept progressing It uh, kept progressing and i i knew okay something is really really going bad here so i went back to my doctor and he he said yeah i think this is what you have went back to the rheumatologist and uh, he didn't give me any good news again and he said you know it's going to keep progressing you're going to have to do something he said you know this is a crippling form of of rheumatoid arthritis and i had so i have psoriasis too or had it and he said you know a lot of the autoimmune conditions you know they go hand in hand and he said it doesn't just affect the joints it affects a lot of different things and he didn't give me a rosy scenario. I did not want to hear this. And I didn't want to hear by the time I'm in my mid fifties, which now is only five years away uh, that I could be in need of a walker or even a wheelchair, uh, the way I kept progressing. So I tried everything. I tried everything from going even plant-based, uh, taking every kind of thing that supposedly helped that was natural, um, uh, Nothing helped. I mean, I might get I might get a a, a small amount of help, or I'm, it may have been a placebo effect, but nothing long term. And I was getting to the point, and this kind of goes back to the workouts. Although we have a very infrequent workout and in high intensity training, um, of usually one one training session uh, per week, I had got to the point where uh, I could even do that very well. And my son and I were actually uh, doing some training with airsoft guns and i was very graceful i came around a, a barrier uh trying to trying to get out of the line of fire and i hit my wrist on the barrier and i thought it broke both my wrists it, it didn't it sprung them so for about three weeks i couldn't work out and i could not believe when i went back how much stronger i was but i just didn't have hardly any pain when i went back into it and so i thought hmm, that's that's interesting and, um, uh, I, I felt so much better. So I actually started uh, increasing the frequencies. But, uh, later on when, the, when my joints started hurting so bad, it would take me two or three days to recover from a work. And I don't mean just soreness. I mean, to be able to even function, it was, it was getting to that point of the in- inflammatory load and the pain I was having. And again, I wasn't taking any kind of anti-inflammatories that were, you know, prescription. I wasn't doing anything like that. I, I refused to do that. You're, um, a, terrible, you're a terrible patient. I was absolutely an (laughs) awful patient. I did nothing they wanted me to do, you know, nothing at all. Nothing. Yeah. And so I actually went to the point, uh, I would have to strategically place my workouts so I could train my own clients and work on our, we have a 225 acre farm being able to work on our farm, do other things. You know, I have four kids trying to you know, play with the kids and everything. So I would work out once every three weeks. I know that's an extreme deal, but I would be so, so hurting and and sore from the workout, I was not able to hardly function because with the amount of inflammation I just had in my body naturally, plus you're putting on the other inflammation from breaking down the muscle fibers, Uh, it was just too much for my body to heal back quickly. And uh, I was always jealous of watching, you know, X-Men. I wanted to be like Wolverine. I can just heal instantly. And I I couldn't do that. And uh, so it it got very, very, very bad. Again, it kept progressing. And I it, I always say it didn't get serious until one of my favorite hobbies I couldn't do and that's combat pistol shooting. Uh, I was at the point and I don't want to get too wonkish in this. Some people don't uh, probably do that or know what I'm talking about, but uh, I was unable to ma- manipulate the gun. I couldn't manipulate the slide lock. I couldn't manipulate the uh, the mag release. And you have to do those quickly, and you have to have some dexterity. And my thumbs had pretty much quit working. My fingers, to the point, they they couldn't work. I had I modified my guns to make them as easy as I could, and I was still having a terrible time doing that. So that's when I knew I have got to do something or I'm, my quality of life is just shot. And at that point, I was in my you know uh, mid to late 40s and started researching everything. One of the things that in, in my Christian faith that's very important is fasting. Now I think most Christians now read that, as I say, as, as feasting instead of fasting. Uh, but I noticed <laughs> when I would fast... And I actually, I'm a weirdo in many ways. I love to fast. I know that sounds weird, but to me, it's just not, I mean, spiritually, it does something. Emotionally, mentally, it does a lot too. It really, it really is important. But I did notice something. When I would fast for about three days, almost all of my pain levels would just be gone uh, my inflammation be gone. I could actually take, uh, I haven't wore a ring. I wear for tracking, uh, and I've, you know, I I could take that on and off. I would notice after about three days, I would eat, it would come right back. The, the pain, the inflammation would all be back. I thought, well, great. I I found a cure to this, but I'm going to have to stop eating for the rest of my life. That really really wasn't going to help a whole lot. And, um,
0: what do you About think it. is, if yeah. I could stop you and ask you yeah, a question, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no problem. Uh, what do you think is the mechanism there with the fasting in the uh, reduced inflammation and pain?
1: Well, that actually, uh, that, that goes hand in hand. That is what it is. Now, you know, some of us are going to disagree with this and some people clearly say there's some people on Instagram and stuff like that. And they go, well, the only benefits you get is from extreme calorie restriction. Well, you follow me enough to know if you've seen how I eat, I'm not doing any kind of extreme calorie restriction. But yes, that does give you some benefit. But I think the benefit that I was getting was from the total absence of the toxins. And the toxins were from plants and nuts. And that's what, that's the discovery I started to make. I started to figure out, I love meat. I've always loved meat. So sometimes I would just break the fast. It may just been meat. You know, I would eat. And i thought, like, wow, you know, I feel good, I feel great, but of course, you know, you're gonna die without your your essential carbohydrates. That's that's a joke, and your your <laughs> your, your vegetables. So you know, I, I would you know eat my broccoli the next day or cauliflower, and like, oh my goodness, within you know hours to the next day after that, I'm just in all kinds of pain again. Now, somebody that doesn't agree with with actually carnivore eating at all, uh, but they put a book out, great book, and this is what really got me on the road to what eventually put me in full remission I don't like to use the word cure let's wait about five years I'll call it cure uh, I'll, I'll say remission um, I don't think your body cares either way I think either one works but Dr. Stephen Grundry uh, a world-famous cardiologist put out the book The Plant Paradox and I thought huh I'll look at the title of this so I look like that sounds interesting so I got an audio book and Wow, I didn't know about all this stuff. Lectins, I knew about gluten. You know, lectins phytic acid, oxalates, um, all these different anti-nutrients, uh, just inflammatory agents, things that just destroy your gut. And uh, the lectins was probably the biggest thing that was causing me the issues. And I, I was just absolutely shocked on this. And he was more or less his strategy was how to limit, limit down through cooking, soaking, pressure cooking, the, the toxins in plants. Um, that's when I started going in and doing all the research I could. And I had done carnivorism actually when I was in college, and then my coaches told me I would die, and i and I done that. Vince Gironda was one of my heroes, and he was Mr. Steak and Eggs. And he, he, he that's what he consisted on was steak and eggs. Uh, so i done that, and I thought, well, that's going to help this scrawny kid get stronger, and it did help. I also went back to carnivorism when I was uh, at Tyson Foods. A lot of meat right there. I can eat whatever I want. And uh, I wasn't married at the time, so that's fine. I didn't care about the vegetables anyway. And when I met my wife, she was uh, pretty much plant based and she was not happy with me eating so much meat. So I went back to it. And uh, so I had experimented with this before and ha- I loved it, but I wasn't doing it for health reasons or, you know, not for rheumatoid arthritis. So I was familiar with this. So when I start going into some of these Facebook groups, zeroing in on health, Zero Carb, uh, UK, uh, different different sites like that, there were these long-term carnivores. And another guy that I followed at the time of, of, of Vince Gironda was the sound guy for the Grateful Dead, Bear Osby. Uh, and he was a carnivore, a long-term carnivore. And I had read his his stuff in Rolling Stone magazine and other, other articles that were, he had written. Mother Jones, I think, had an article on him, too. So uh, I was familiar with these long-term carnivores. And I was seeing a, a pattern. All these people that were on these sites, almost every one of them were ex-vegans or they all had some type of issue, such as an autoimmune condition, whether it be rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis. Uh, terrible GI issues, um, and so I thought, wow, so I, these were some, now, there were some that were not helpful. I'll just be honest with you. I won't name names. There are some carnivores who make the militant vegans look like not not that way at all, and, uh, the, you know, you've got to do everything just this way, and there were a few of those people still out there that, you know, they're, they were not helpful, but by far and away, most all these people were very helpful. Lisa Bailey was one I had Contacted uh, Phil S. Scott uh, I had contacted. There were others, and they were telling me all the stuff. Look at this person. Get in contact with this. And that's when probably somebody that a lot of people will know uh, from the Joe Rogan Show. I knew him earlier that because of Corporate uh, Warrior uh, uh, Lawrence Neal. His uh, podcast had Dr. Sean Baker on there, and that was in early 2017. And he was talking about how why he had went carnivore, and I got in touch with him. Uh, he helped me tremendously. He's been a big, big, big help to me and so many other people. Dr. Paul Marbley, uh, zero carb doc is what he's known for, known on Facebook. So all these people were giving me all this information and I had already been ketogenic for quite some time. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to go about 90% carnivore. I'll still eat maybe a little bit of asparagus, a little bit of broccoli, keep the wife happy, you know? People won't think I'm that weird if I'm still eating a little bit of vegetables. And so I'm eating less than one or two servings a week usually probably one of either asparagus broccoli cauliflower brussels sprouts or green beans did that for about a year I had no improvement that I could tell you of none I had nothing nothing improved as far as my 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 rheumatoid arthritis or my psoriasis nothing and um, in November of 2017 I talked to my wife and I said look I've got to do something. I thought she was, she was going to say, no, 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 no. I said, but I'm thinking about doing the world carnivore challenge. Dr. Baker's going to do the first one in 2018. What do you think? I said, I think it's a great idea and I'm going to do it too. And I go, what? No way. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she was all for it. And I was like, you know, she'd just no way. And cause she has never been a meat person. If she ate meat, it would be just a small, small, small amount of chicken. Now, uh, and she had IBS, uh, severe IBS on medications, on all kinds of stuff for that. She has had zero problems, zero issues, and funny, zero fiber, uh, zero fruits, zero vegetables, and uh, now she, you don't stand between her and a ribeye. I'm telling you, you just, you just <laughs> it's dangerous. <laughs>
0: and so, uh, so you started this month long carnivore challenge,
1: and yes. what happened? Well, uh, it's all placebo effect if you listen to the experts, uh, if you listen to most people that commented. And, you know, I, I, guess I have a degree in clinical psychology, and I understand the placebo effect, and it's the most powerful medicine known to mankind. It really, really can be. Um, surprisingly, after just making such a very, very, very minor change in my eating, uh, of going from 90 to 100%, uh, within two weeks, I could take my ring on and off, with no problem. My pain levels had diminished very, very greatly. Now I was taking a, a curum product, CuraMed, uh, what it's called, and I was doing some natural anti-inflammatories. Uh, I was taking a, a CBD or a hemp product uh, also. I actually, I think the second week, I believe it's around the second week, I stopped all of that. Just stopped it. And I was like, oh, I'm probably going to pay for this. But, but my pain levels were down so much. I was like, eh, well, we'll try it. And didn't need it. And I still don't need it. And uh, I think it was maybe a few weeks after that, I was able, and you'll hear this on the audio, to do this. And I hadn't been able to do this in about, I don't know, six years, seven years, maybe. I don't know exactly when. You You, you take it for granted. But this simple thing here that almost everybody can do, snap my fingers. You take that for granted. If you have rheumatoid arthritis, you're not going to be snapping your fingers. I was at the point, my fingers were, were curling, kind of curling in. I was having to wear braces at night to keep my thumbs from, from just locking up. I had 13 nodules all over my hand and above my wrist here that you get a lot of times from the RA. And all of those are gone now. I have one left. I have one on my right thumb. It's very small, but I have one left. I think God wants to leave it there to remind me, hey, do you really want to go back to how you did it? Uh, not sure, but it's still there. Very minor, but I had 13 of those, so 12 disappeared. Um, incredible. My uh, my sleep pattern got better. Uh, my psoriasis went away. I also had issues with sciatica. I'd go to a massage therapist. I've not had one issue with sciatica since then. Uh, I would always have to wear a sleeve on my right elbow. Uh, I had tendonitis in there for years. I think I donated my sleeves. I don't need them anymore. My braces. I don't need them. I haven't had any. So, you know, it could be a placebo effect, but I'm into about my 15th month of the placebo effect. And if that's the case, I'll take it.
0: Wow. What a great story. I mean, it, you know, however that is uh, as, as far as a placebo or whatever it it, it worked. So, um, what were some of the uh, responses from friends and family and that kind of thing?
1: Have you lost your mind? <laughs> that, was, that was a common one. Uh, well, you know, you're going to die without your, 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 healthy whole grains and, you know, uh, you gotta have your fruits and vegetables. You won't get your phytonutrients. Uh, you know, so you, you got all that. And I was very prepared for this. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people, I'm kind of a, overthinker. And I, I, if you look at my house and since the advent of the internet, it's not as bad, but books and books and books and articles and copies of this and that. And and so I I tend to do a lot of research. So I I knew what people would be saying. And I was prepared for that. Um, I mean, if you believe the experts, I should be dead. I mean, I should have already died of scurvy. I mean, that's just a fact. You have to have 60 milligrams of vitamin C or you're going to develop scurvy. I'm only getting two to four milligrams of vitamin C per day. How do I not have scurvy? So, you know, there's the experts are not right. Uh, Fiber, well, if you don't have fiber, you don't go to the bathroom, and that's totally wrong. And my wife is definitely proof of that with her IBS. She has no problems at all. Um, It's just absolutely amazing. So many things that you think that you need that you really don't. Uh, The lack of competition from the glucose is is a lot of that, but not having plant toxins and anti-nutrients that hinder the absorption of all of your nutrients um, uh, make a huge, huge difference on that. But actually my family, uh, my friends, uh, they all have been incredibly accepting. Uh, they treat it no different than if somebody said, I have an allergy to shellfish, uh, or I have an allergy to nuts. They treat me the same way. They treat my wife the same way. Uh, they don't try to stick a, you know, piece of fruit in my face or a Twinkie or whatever, you know, and say, "Hey, come on, eat this. You know, they don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're, 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 they, 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 they've been very, very accommodating. Now, some, I mean, some have generally been very concerned of my health. I had a, cli- a client and she's vegan. Uh, actually her daughter is, she is more of a vegetarian. She will do some, some eggs and different things and then a little bit of meat. Um, but she was very, very concerned uh, with my health. And this summer, uh, last summer, she said, Mark, I want to tell you something. As much as I was concerned about you, you just look different. You just look great. Your skin looks great. Your hair looks great. You just look healthier, happier. Said, so when I come in here, I can just tell you, you just feel good. I said, I do. I said, I'm not dealing with with feeling like I'm, you know, 115 years old with joints that don't work. And so I think when people see that we're healthy, and I always get a kick out of this on my my Facebook group, I'll have somebody said, okay, Mark, I've been firing you for about a year and a few months and uh, I'm going to go ahead and do the carnivore thing because you haven't died yet. I said, well, you know, I've I tried to try to make sure I didn't do that because that definitely doesn't hurt the co- or it doesn't help the cause. So, uh, I think that's when people see that and they start questioning things. They start looking at some of the research out there. Uh, and, and some of the, the people that have done this long-term Joe and Charlene Anderson, uh, Charlene's Will be turning, I think, forty-six there in a few weeks, just after my birthday. Her husband is sixty, going on sixty-one. If you go and look at them, uh, you can go on Instagram. Uh, you can look on Doctor Baker's or on my pages. I've got posts on them. Incredible! I mean, they look amazing. Joe looks like he may be in his thirties or forties. I mean, he's, it's incredible. Uh, Charlene, she looks like she's a twenty-five-year-old, and uh, she she gained her regained her health back and she's been doing this for over 20 years now. So when you see people that do this long-term, Charles uh, uh, Wills, uh, Washington, uh, he has a, the zeroing in on health. He's done this for uh, 12 years or so, uh, changed his whole health trajectory, uh, and many, many more, uh, many that have done this for, for decades. So it does help to see people that have done this long-term and are not only surviving, they're thriving, and to see so many people that have been vegan or they've been another way of eating and it came to this and their health has been restored. And you see people that there's one lady, um, actually she lives in Arkansas and, uh, her Joe, and uh, she, uh, she is off like 23 medications she's on 26 medications. I believe she's off of like 23 of them now. And she posted just a picture of her medication. She took, I have it on my Facebook group there and on Instagram. It's just amazing. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. How many she was taking? So that I could have ate a bowl of cereal with my pills that I took every day. You know, it'd have been the equivalent of that. And then to see the difference in how she looks before and after—it doesn't even look like the same person. So just people I know that I train that go carnivore or highly carnivorous—the difference is made in their lives. And just seeing these people that on social media—that has made such a huge difference—it's it, very, very encouraging.
0: Do you find you have to answer the same questions to people when they find out what, you're, what you've been doing?
1: Oh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, it's always the same thing. It, it, it is. And it's like, oh my goodness, you know, and I, I don't, you know, I kind of brought it up, don't want to allude to it, but the, the most common question how do you go to the bathroom? Quite, quite nicely. And, you know, you get that a lot. I think they are so ingrained. If you don't have the fiber, you can't go to the bathroom. And that is absolutely, absolutely false. Uh, And again, this is what's amazing. When you go carnivore, since you have such a high uptake of nutrients, there's virtually no waste. You may not go as often because there's nothing there to to go. That's not constipation. Constipation when you need to go and you can't. So you have virtually just, I mean, maybe a tenth of the waste that you normally had. Because the plants uh, are very bulky. They have all this non-digestible stuff in there. And a lot of stuff we can't, you know, break down. So you have none of that. I, I, you get that a lot. You get, uh, well, you know, another one, since I eat pretty much the same thing over and over. I, I do steak and I can do eggs now quite well. Uh, I didn't at 1st can do the eggs. But I have a ribeye, ribeyes and steak every day. Don't you get tired of that? I get that often. Don't you crave bread? Don't you crave vegetables? Don't you crave sweets? Don't you crave, you know, whatever? Or don't you get tired of it? And, and the answer is no, I have no cravings. Uh, I generally eat one meal per day. Occasionally I will eat two, but generally one meal per day. I uh, just eat when I'm hungry. I eat till I am utterly full. I can't take a bite more. And I don't eat again until I'm hungry. And uh, I look forward to every meal I have. Uh, it's, it's a blessing from God that I have it. And uh, I, I, I never get tired of it. And my wife's the same way. And I think we, we have been programmed from probably early age, from food companies, that food is entertainment. You can't think birthday without thinking birthday cake. You can't think of any type of party without some party type food. I mean, the Super Bowl, when, we, when we've got friends talking about the Super Bowl, I think more than half of them, are already, even if it's their team, they're not talking about that as much as about what food they're going to be bringing and what they're going to be eating at the Super Bowl game party. So, I mean, everything we've turned into, Valentine's Day, my wife has a large preschool center. And I jokingly said I walked in there and I about had a, had a diabetic shock just from the, the sugar floating around in the air. I mean, the food companies have got us giving, you know, tons of candy to every everything. We have you know Halloween. We have, have St. Patrick's Day even coming up everything we we make it around food and food companies want that that's obvious they it's good marketing it's great marketing now is it good for our health no it is not and you know most adults have not ever outside of sleep went more than four or five hours with eating without eating some kind of nutrients and uh, it's just amazing how how we stay hungry we think we have to have all this stuff. And you know, you'll have these experts. And I always love this. And you'll you'll dig into the research money and you'll see that came from Gatorade, Kellogg's General Mills. You know what? You need to eat at least six meals a day, maybe even some extra snacks in between there or your muscle will just fall off. Never fast. Fasting, yeah, you know, the other or what a few weeks ago, there was all these headlines, dire headlines. If you fast, you could be giving if you skip breakfast, uh, and do intermittent fasting, you should be giving yourself diabetes. Really? I have done intermittent fasting for many years and my blood glucose and everything is, is perfect. Uh, so I, I think that's that's just a a bunch of this uh, propaganda we get from the food companies. Uh, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy what we've been led to believe.
0: So somebody come comes into your, your, uh, fitness studio and you, um, agree to work with them. How do you address nutrition with them?
1: I'm not a dictator. That is one thing. Uh, I kind of have a libertarian background here. Uh, if you come in and you're a vegan, I'm not going to try to make you a carnivore. I'm not going to tell you to eat meat. Now, I might, I might think it's better if you do that, but if you come into it fully convinced, um, uh, and especially if you come into it from maybe more of an ethical side, that's not my job. Now I might give you some, some ideas to, to I think minimize some of the problems. Um, if you come into it in, in, in maybe a standard American diet, you know, I wanna tell you, yeah, you can gain strength. I mean, definitely. You can gain some muscle. Uh, but if you're eating the crap you're eating, the standard American diet, you're not gonna see good results. And I have got signs on my wall in there that the workout will not uh help you uh, to, to just lose weight. It's not going to help you this 70 to 80%. It probably could be more, more than that is all about how you eat. The eating is that important without the proper eating, the long-term results are going to be very, very, very slim. Now, can you be healthy eating, uh, say with the vegetables and fruits? Obviously you can. Now, if you have an autoimmune condition like me, maybe not so much. Uh, so no, I don't, I don't force people to be this way or that way. I do recommend, uh, that they try to eat single-ingredient foods. They try to minimize packaged foods, crappy garbage, as we call it, as Jimmy Moore's term for the crappy garbage. Uh, try to get that out of their lives. Try to get get away from sweeteners, whether it be real or artificial, even the ones we consider healthy, even stevia, um, uh, monk monk fruit. I mean, try to get as much of that out of your life so you don't have those addictions to sugar. You'll be happier. You'll be healthier you'll be less likely to have a relapse. That's the biggest problem I see with keto. Mm. Keto likes to hang on to the sweets. They like to hang on to that. The only way I see most people doing well long-term is totally giving up the sugar addiction. And that's really hard for people. That's really, really a hard thing. But when you're still dosing yourself up with even, like I said, the healthier sweeteners, you still have that craving. You still have that in there. And they're making some of the stuff that they call keto is just marketing. I mean, it's just crap. Uh, oh, these keto muffins, you know, or keto brownies, cookies. And a lot of the ingredients you look at them, you're like, wow, uh, not a good thing. And uh, I think so many people ha- relies on those, and that becomes a downfall later on down the road. The clients I have that have went in a very highly carnivorous way, maybe not 100%, have done by far the best. They have all done very, very good when they, they, they go in the direction of, of steak and eggs, as I call it.
0: So do you do a food diary with them? Do you have them do that?
1: Well, I, I check on them uh, throughout the week and some do, some don't. I, now this is one thing that I have changed in my approach and I am a very, I think I'm recovering on this. <laughs> I hope I am. Uh, but I've talked with Lawrence Nill about this several times and we've kind of had the same issues, but I'm one of those people that's an over tracker big time. And, you know, the scale can be a stumbling block for so many people, but checking your HRV nonstop throughout the day can can be as well. Uh, checking your body fat percentage, checking your blood pressure, knowing Every little aspect, what your ketone levels is now, then, and and on there, it can become an obsession and it can become a stumbling block for people. Um, Tracking macros, calorie counting can be an OCD component also, and it can be very, very much of a downfall. I don't like people to track. Uh, I hate tracking. I used to track all the time. I never track anymore. The only time I ever track, I'll post it occasionally. People, I just want to see kind of a snapshot of what you're eating. And so I, you know, back uh, about a month ago, I did I think six or seven different uh, trackings of myself. Uh, I do have a, a client and I, I follow her tracking pretty close. She, that's the only way she seems to do well. It keeps her on track. So I do, I go onto her, my pal or my fitness pal, and I look at her, her diary on there. But generally I don't recommend any of my clients do that. The ones that especially go carnivorous, I definitely do not want them uh, tracking macros Uh, I I don't want them, you know, tracking their calories and all that. Uh we have a good estimate. I'll have them track initially. After that, they should have a good idea of where they need to be. And then I want them well, this is a key word here. I want them to listen to the bodies. Now, if you're still addicted to sugar, I don't want you listen to your body because your body's gonna say, Hey, feed me, feed me, feed me. And Mm -hmm. uh I don't want that. But once you have become fat adapted, you're uh, using ketones. I don't care if your ketone readings are showing three, four or five. That's crazy. Mine, uh, when I was tracking, we're showing about one, 1. 1.5. And for a carnivore or for anybody, that's fine. Uh, having high levels of ketones does not mean you're being successful. That may mean your body's having to produce more because your body doesn't know how to efficiently use them. And there's so many things that affect ketone levels in the body. And so success is not having a high molar of ketones. I think that's kind of the old school keto thinking. It still kind of runs rampant, but you know, that is not necessary to, to have that. So no, I, I don't like tracking. I like to keep everything simple. Eat when you're hungry. Uh, eat till you're totally full and don't eat again until you're, you're, you're hungry again. So
0: it, they come in, they don't have any um, known autoimmune uh, conditions. Um, they don't uh, feel bad from eating vegetables and stuff. Yes. You, you, you give them a few of these principles about the, the value in uh, nutrient density of meat. You talk to them about, um, uh, like veggie oils and those kinds of things. Yes. Yes. And what are, what are a few of the other things that you give them the principles of?
1: Well, uh, sometimes I make them a little irritated, but I'll have somebody, uh, text me back hey how does this look here's the ingredient list i said well that's your first that's your first mistake <laughs> you know jokingly <laughs> i said i don't want an ingredient list i want an ingredient a single ingredient right. but you know that's not always possible and you know the the adage of don't let the 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 perfect destroy the good i try to live with that with my clients i try to live with that myself um i had a client that i uh, just do the nutritional uh, training with her she's in uh, in michigan and she was at, stuck at work well she had what what i call non she's carnivore non-optimum choices and they neither one was great but they weren't absolutely horrible either so she had two options we picked the the least bad option and that got her by where she didn't go to the vending machine and get you know frito-lay chips or whatever and and some of the you know crap they sell out of there so we have to look at it realistically uh so i always try to say look plan ahead you'll hear so many people well i can do this when i'm at home but when i'm eating out i can't do this i go yeah you can do this easily if you're carnivore even if you're you're not and you're trying to avoid some of the stuff i can easily find a mcdonald's in any city of the world or a burger king or something and i can just order meat patties okay and they're 100 percent usda beef uh, they're not filled with crap. Now, I don't recommend that on maybe sausage and bacon, which is processed, or lunch meats. But you can find that. And even if you go in there and you tell them, I just want the patties, they may look at you funny, order a McDouble. I mean, what order whatever, and you can take and, take the other stuff off. You can take the bread off or tell them you don't want anything on it. But nowadays, you just tell them you want you know, so many patties, they'll give you the patties. And so you can find ways of making it happen. But uh, I think that that's one of the things It's just, just try to stay away from packaged foods. Try to use real food. Stay away from any of the, like you said, the oils, any of the, the, the vegetable oils, nut oils, uh, fake food, seed oils, all of that. And try to avoid that like it's the plague. The, those omega-6s, I mean, those create inflammation. They create all kinds of issues throughout your body, as you well know. And so just by eliminating that, that's great and even ones that are not doing anything in particular, they're not necessarily doing keto, they're not necessarily doing carnivore, uh, just staying away from the, those toxic oils, trying to eat as single ingredient or minimally processed foods as possible, that will go a long ways to their total health.
0: Right. So you're very open. Like you said, you're a libertarian in the sense that they come in and say, you know, I just want to get trained. I don't want... You you know you're preaching at me for yep. nutrition. You will do that. I will.
1: Uh, I will. And Now, I've got I've got some that some clients they want me to be on them all the time. They send me a picture of everything they put in their body. I mean, they send me a picture of this meal, that meal, uh, and that's how they want to be. I've got some that want me to be on them. I've got some. No, I'm just here for the training. I'm not uh, you know on that. But I still ask them. I go now you, the eating is important. And, uh, so they're, they're, they're usually very probably more conscious than even the ones that said that, you know, or the, when they first came in, I said, well, I'm not really worried about it for the nutrition, but, uh, I still get a little bit of preaching into them on the importance of that. I try to put that in when I check on them and I, I tell them, you know, it's like trying to run a, a, a car with watered down gas. Uh, it's not going to work well and it will not work long. And uh, the 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 three things that I say you must have for, to get your 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 best results, you've got to have the proper workout. And I say the proper workout, that's not any of your concern because or, or worry because I'm here with you. It's going to be the proper workout, okay? So you don't have to worry about that. Uh, you just show up. We're going to make sure that gets done. So that's the only thing I have control over. The proper eating, I can give you encouragement and suggestions. But ultimately, that's up to you. The The third thing is the proper rest and the proper recovery. And that's something else I don't have control over. I can only give guidance, and it's up to them. And, you know, I, I think we see this a lot. I've, I've had clients many, many years. I've been very fortunate to have clients very long term. And I've had clients come there and said just what, what we're talking about. Hey, I'm just coming here to do the workout, and I'm going to try to eat a little bit better. you know, and they get, they get decent results. They get decent. And then usually they'll see one of my other clients that's got all three things firing like it should be. And they're like, wow, my friend just started a few months ago and she looks incredible or he looks amazing. And what are they doing? I said, well, they're doing the eating like this. They're getting their rest and recovery. And uh, you know, they're just really doing all the things I want them to do. That usually will inspire them. Sometimes it will get them discouraged. I've even had a few that will even cry. And we've had some heart-to-heart meetings where they were kind of down on themselves and kind of, you know, I said, Hey, this is, this is a chance to just kind of do it the way it should be done. So a lot of times they see that and they will put the eating in order. They'll try to get the rest and recovery in order. And the results are just amazing. Like they, they're a shock. How, how big a difference having those other two principles along with a workout make. So I will let somebody come in there and they, again, they don't have to come in there and eat, but they're, they, they they're they will know they're not going to get their best results they're not going to live up to their genetic potential if they eat crap right
0: you know and it and it's really um uh, what we're made to eat humans yes. are, are made to eat a certain way and would you call that uh meat centric
1: well nina to shell uh she wrote the book the big fat surprise and she's done a lot of research on how we used to eat and it's not what i think maybe the hallmark movies have made us think when we see uh shows from you know the 100 years ago um she went back and looked and the average adult 100 years ago was eating i think 22 grams of carbs and now we're eating close to like 350 on average today wow. so we we're, we're not eating any what any way Near what we did even a century ago. Now, what people will tell me a lot of times, you know, being kind of negative on the on the carnival way eating. Well, you know that your grandmas and your grandpa and all them they ate tons of vegetables and all this fruits and stuff. And I'm like going, no, they didn't. And they go, oh yeah, they did. So, well, first of all, they had 11 kids. They lived in Northwest Arkansas, which can grow strawberries and a little bit of tomatoes, and that's about it. You're not going to grow much. So think about this. You have no refrigeration. Uh, you have a root cellar now. Canning, everybody thinks they can. Well, canning was not commercially popularized and, and available the type that we think about the water bath uh, canning and the mason jars until the advent of the the safety pressure valve, and that was in the early to mid 1920s. So uh, root cellar keeps stuff for a little while. But if you've got that many kids, you got a garden. You're not going to have a lot of stuff. So it was a very meat-centric way of eating. And that was pretty much universal, very meat-centric. Alex de Tocqueville talked about when he came to America, he could not believe the amount of meat that Americans ate. said it was just unbelievable the amount of, of meat that we had. And said vegetables seems like just a small condiment on their plates. So actually that was a history of us. And if you look back, most civilizations, now there are there are exceptions. We know there are some islands. Uh, that were exceptions to this, and they're always brought up, oh, well, they ate uh, 80% carbohydrates. And that is true. There, are, there were some, some or societies that did eat a high level, but that's what they had to eat. Mankind can adapt to a, a, a many different places and many different ways of eating. Uh, but we were, for most cultures, very meat-centric. The plants, the nuts, the seeds, all that, that was something that was generally secondary. That was when they didn't have a kill. That's when they didn't have a lot lot of meat to eat. But meat was a very, very big portion of the eating. And uh, today, we're on the standard American diet, we're over 70 plus percent plant-based. And the stuff that we're calling meat isn't even hardly meat. I mean, it's injected with all kinds of liquids and flavor enhancing agents. It's mixed with uh, grains and fiber. I mean, you look at like, some of the sausage patties, oh my goodness. I mean, it's not even hardly meat. Uh, it's you read the label, and it has sugar, sugar, uh, all kinds of xanthan, gum, and I mean, just all kinds of stuff in it. That, that's not meat. And uh, that's why I highly recommend you eat single-ingredient foods. You eat real meat. Make friends with the cattlemen. Know your local butcher. Know what you're eating. Know what you're getting. We raise our own cattle, but we also buy buy also. And uh, we make sure we're getting stuff that is, is good quality and not feel full of junk.
0: I want to respect your time. And uh, so let's, let's sum this up for our brothers in this, air, uh, this season of life. So we talked about nutrition, meat-centric, stay away from processed foods, the, the bad oils, um, rest and recovery really important, and the workout. Simple, safe, proper form, and and really time under load to failure. Did I sum that up for you?
1: Wow, that's amazing. I wish I could be that concise. <laughs> that was really good.
0: Well, I took notes. How's that?
1: Well, I, I'm still impressed either way. That's great
0: mark it's been a pleasure talking to you i mean you're i uh i was telling my wife i i love your accent it just there's something about your your accent uh you know maybe the arkansas thing that is it's um i don't know it's it's soothing and and it's and it's um it seems real authentic and
1: well thank you honest. yeah. Thank you. So, I, I, have a, I have a client I trained in, uh, in Scotland, and I was so worried he wouldn't be able to understand my accent. He said, oh, I listened to your podcast several times. I've got used to it.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what would you say, you know, last, last um, word from Mark Stroh, um, how would you encourage your brother's? Well, do something
1: and and do something that's correct. When we say do something, do something could be something stupid. I mean, it could be something that's not beneficial. Do your research. Uh, Check out Body by Science. I mean, man, that is a great book, a very, very easy to read. Uh, There's some great, great resources out there. We live in the information age. We need to utilize it, but make sure we're getting good information. Check the people out. Dr. Doug McGuff, one of the greatest guys you could ever meet, a great guy. Um, Doug Holland is one of my friends, one of the strongest guys in the world, has a great training center and, uh, intelligent exercise in Shreveport, Louisiana. One of my mentors, um, he makes me look like a weenie. I'll, I'll never be at his level. And he's, he's 50, almost 50, I guess he's 58 years old now. And, uh, just incredible. I post a lot of his stuff, but he would verify Doug McGuff is a real thing. Um, and Doug Holland has had Doug McGuff at his, his place and done trainings there and, and, and seminars. Uh, so, I mean, you can, you need to do your research. It's not normal for men to look like they're eight months pregnant when they're in their thirties and forties and fifties. And in my opinion, I don't mean this arrogantly because I, I, we didn't get into it here, but I had a major health issue. I I was uh, 10 years ago. I was in a a logging accident here on my farm and uh, I lost my health substantially and I, I had to come back and I was 60 pounds overweight and it was horrible. Never had to deal with that in my life. But to me, it is shameful for especially men that have always been healthy to look like they're about ready to deliver a baby. Uh, they, they shouldn't look that way. Uh, that is not normal. You look at the Aboriginal people and even in their seventies, uh, it's amazing. They, they are a, a specimen that is just amazing. That's how we should look. So through proper eating, making sure we let our bodies recover. We do, we stay away from the, 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 the easy things stay away from, stay away from the drugs, the, the alcohols and, And the the things that we know, the the tobacco products, uh, eat decent food. You don't have to eat carnivore. I mean, for me, I I do, but you can just limit down your, your, your carbohydrate intake, your sugars, your fake foods, uh, do a simple exercise. Dr. Ted Naaman. look up Dr. Ted Naaman. He does a, just a home workout that consists of a pull-up bar, which I have my clients have a pull-up bar that they do, uh, some exercises on. And, uh, he does that some pushups, some, some pistol squats. This guy is Jack. He looks incredible. He's 47, 46, 47. Uh, he looks amazing. Dr. Ted Naaman, a great guy. So there are so many things we can do and you don't have to go to a gym. You don't have to hire me. You don't have to hire a trainer. I think that's a good, that's a good thing to do. Maybe to get you started off. So you're doing it correctly, but you don't have to, you can do simple things to change the trajectory of your health. You do not have to go, into decline like many people think that we have to. And our body is a temple and God said it is a temple and we need to treat it like a temple instead of a tent. And I think that is something that's very vital. We should take care of this vessel we've been given and treat it as we should. You would not have a, a car running good if you never gave it a hole change, if you never had the tires changed on it, uh if you never had it serviced. If you didn't take care of your house, it would fall apart. Our bodies are no different. So there are simple things that are not hard. They don't cost a lot of money. Uh, it just takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of effort, a little bit of knowledge, and you can do it.
0: What a great message. Thank you so much, Mark. Pre- pleasure having you. I hope to have you again.
1: I would love to. I would love to. And I hope this encourages some people. Uh, I would. I, I think it's a great thing that you're doing. And and so many people forget about this, this area of our age. And uh, we're kind of forgotten sometimes and exactly. we shouldn't be we shouldn't be we should be an example to the ones coming up and there, there's so much we can do and we're so, so much more effective so much more happier uh we can spend more time with our kids we have if we have grandkids we can spend t- a, a quality time with them you go out on hikes you can do stand-up paddle boarding you can go you know snorkeling whatever and that's in your control that is largely in your control
0: All right well god bless you talk to you soon
1: God bless you. Thank you so much. Enjoyed it anytime.
0: Thank you for listening to the Finishing Strong podcast. If you've been impacted by what you've heard on this episode, like, comment, and subscribe and tell a friend. Follow our guests and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Growing old doesn't have to suck. Join me as I'm Finishing Strong.